Well, hello again, everyone. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Today, we'll be talking about pharmacology, kind of an underlying concept that you're going to hear and see all the time, and that is the Beers list. I probably went through a couple of semesters of nursing school thinking, did someone just say beer? And not really realizing what they were talking about. And then I looked it up, learned what it was, and light bulbs galore. So I want you to go into nursing school or head into pharmacology or clinical already knowing this so that when somebody says it, you understand what they're talking about and the implications of it. So before we dive into that, let's take a quick detour to listener shout-out land. And this shout-out goes out to Kat, who says, I just started my second semester of nursing school. I stumbled across Nurse Mo when I was having a tough time with my pharmacology class, and I didn't know what to do or how to learn the NCLEX ways after nearly failing my first exam. I first started listening to her free podcast during my commute to work and school. Then I purchased both of her boot camps. I am now a subscriber to Study Sesh. I must say that she has been a life saver. I will pick podcasts based on what we are learning that week so I can listen to someone else teach me the same thing. Needless to say, I went from almost failing to making the dean's list my first semester. Because of her, I'm gaining my confidence back in my study skills and NCLEX test-taking skills. I will be a forever listener. Kat, thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to submit that review. It means absolutely the world to me. Okay, you guys, we'll talk about study sesh at the end. I do want to dive into this, but if you remember, Kat said that she was listening to study sesh. I do want to share some information about that with you. We'll do that at the end, and I'll link to it in the episode notes as well. So you will hear the phrase beers list, or you might hear someone say, that's a beers drug. They're not talking about Coors Light. Okay, they're talking about medications that could be potentially inappropriate for use in older adults. So a little while ago, maybe a few weeks back, we did a podcast episode about geriatric pharmacology. This is a perfect companion to that. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and check that one out as well. That was episode 150. Seven. So what is the beers list or the beers criteria? So the beers criteria was first developed by Dr. Mark Beers in 1991 when he defined inappropriate prescribing of medication as those drugs whose risks really do outweigh the benefits, namely as it relates to the geriatric population. So over the years, this list has evolved and is regularly revised and updated by the American Geriatrics Society. So why is this important? So while older adults will still be prescribed medications that are on the beers list, you want to be aware of these so that 
it kind of clues you in to be extra hyper vigilant with these patients, really keeping a close eye on the adverse effects that they could have. A cross-sectional study conducted in 2020 looked at the healthcare costs of this what we call inappropriate prescribing and determined that more than 7 billion doses of potentially inappropriate medication were dispensed in the year 2018 and that accounted for significant healthcare costs and potentially harmful results. So because the beers list is continually updated, it's best to just go online to find what is on the list currently. So I will include a link or just simply search the term beers list and you will get some great information. So as you look at that list of beers drugs, you'll notice the medications are classified in a few different ways. You will see medications classified as those to avoid in most elderly patients, except for those that are on palliative care or hospice care, okay? Um, So those are the avoid medications. There are medications to use with caution and medications that are high risk. So I'm going to talk about some key beers list medications that you will see in the clinical setting. And yes, you will see them prescribed for older adults. When they are prescribed for older adults, your spidey sense, right, is going to be heightened, your vigilance, your monitoring, all of that, okay? And there are times when, as the RN, you will question the logic of prescribing that or talk to the MD about, is this the best choice? Is there something else? And a lot of times, you know, they have a really good reason or sometimes it can be an oversight and you caught, you know, potentially inappropriate medication that can easily, in many cases, be changed to something else. So let's talk about some key medications you'll see in the clinical setting that are on the beers list as of the time of this recording. This is not a list of all the beers drugs, okay? Super, super huge disclaimer there, and this list is updated continually. So again, for the most recent updated information, go online, search for beers list, okay? You got that? All right, so here are the ones that I see used a lot in the clinical care setting. Meperidine, we use this in the recovery room to decrease shivering. So after anesthesia, patients will come out and a lot of times they're shivering and it's not because they're cold. It's because of a like an adverse effect or a side effect of that anesthesia working its way out of the body. So we give them a paradine and the shivering stops, which is great because it's kind of uncomfortable for the patients and shivering does increase oxygen demands. So meperidine is a beer's drug because there is a risk for delirium in the older patient and neurotoxicity. So if you're giving meperidine to an elderly patient, just be very, very aware of that, okay? Tramadol is another one, and this is in on the beers list as a use with caution due to the risk for SIADH syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone and the resulting hyponatremia that can come from that. And you all know that hyponatremia causes cerebral edema. Cerebral edema is going to cause decreased cognitive function, right? So be highly aware that that could happen. Opioids, 
which of course you see opioids used in the older population, right? But being very careful, if your patient has a fall history, it's not very likely that the MD is going to write a prescription and send this patient home with opioids. Now, in the hospital setting, if they need opioids, of course, like after surgery or something like that, they're going to get opioids, most likely. Uh, we're also going to make sure we have a fall prevention, very careful fall monitoring, that bed alarm is on, all of that. Um, opioids should be avoided in those who are taking gabapentin or benzodiazepines for increased risk of respiratory depression. Anytime a patient is on opioids, you're always watching for that respiratory depression. And of course, falls heightened alertness for that with your older patients. SSRIs, which are often used to treat uh Depression, often used as adjuncts in chronic pain therapy. They are used with caution due to the risk for falls and for the risk for SIADH. Along those same lines, we have tricyclic antidepressants. These are in that should be avoided category due to anticholinergic effects, sedation, orthostatic hypotension, and then SIADH again. And then speaking of anticholinergics, as a general category of medications, these are recommended to avoid due to a risk for cognitive impairment, increased confusion, delirium, and other unpleasant side effects. So anticholinergics don't give a lot to the elderly patients. Of course, if they're absolutely needed, we use them, but you want to be very aware. Um, maybe not long-term use of anticholinergics because of that risk for cognitive decline. Anticoagulants. So you would think, you know, if you need an anticoagulant, you're getting an anticoagulant. There are several types of anticoagulants that have a, you know, a big concern for heightened bleeding risk. So those would probably be avoided in a patient who has um, got a risk for GI bleeds, who has a fall history or a fall risk. So your patient is a fall risk, has fallen multiple times. The doctor may not want them to be on an anticoagulant because of a huge risk for a cerebral bleed. Antipsychotics, as a general rule, are avoided in the elderly. Of special concern, though, are patients with a history of falls, patients with Parkinson's, dementia, delirium, or really any kind of cognitive impairment. Uh, there are a few exceptions. A couple of those are clozapine and quetiapine. Those would be a couple of exceptions to that rule. Benzodiazepines are typically avoided in the elderly due to increased risk for cognitive impairment and delirium, among other concerns such as falls. Another medication that you see used all the time is amiodarone, but it is avoided in elderly patients, avoided as first-line therapy for atrial fibrillation because of a risk for higher toxicity than other therapies in this population. Amiodarone also increases the risk of bleeding if your patient is also taking warfarin. Okay, so keep that in mind. Calcium channel blockers. 
typically are used a lot to control blood pressure. Elderly patients who have heart failure should avoid calcium channel blockers as they can actually worsen the condition. Spironolactone is a potassium-sparing diuretic, and it's advised to be avoided in the elderly who have reduced renal function due to the heightened risk for hyperkalemia, so too high of potassium levels. Gliburide is a sulfonylurea that is used to control hyperglycemia in people who have diabetes, and it's important to note, though, that its hypoglycemic effects can be pretty significant in the elderly, so it's advised that alternates be considered such as glipizide and definitely should be used cautiously, okay? Sliding scale insulin, kind of the same reason here. Something, you know, it's very common, sliding scale insulin. It's a rapid-acting insulin, but it is on the beers list as a medication that should be avoided due to a risk for hypoglycemia. So what they'll often do with patients who have um, diabetes, when they're given just sliding scale insulin without another hypoglycemic agent or without a basal dose, that rapid-acting insulin just has a higher risk of causing that acute hypoglycemia in elderly patients. Of course, that doesn't mean you're not giving rapid-acting insulin or sliding-scale insulin to your elderly patients in the clinical setting, but in the clinical setting, you're keeping a very close eye on your patients, okay? But if they're going home with this, it might be something that is worth considering or discussing with the MD or the diabetic educator, pharmacist, whoever is making, um, you know, working together to make the best choices for the patient. Proton pump inhibitors, PPIs, these are used to decrease stomach acid, but PPIs such as omeprazole should be limited to less than eight weeks duration because of a risk for C. diff infections, because of a risk for bone loss, which can lead to fractures, and pseudomembranous colitis. Okay, so PPIs really only used for short durations, less than eight weeks in most cases. Again, of course, this is all going to be dependent on your individual patient. Along the same lines, we have H2 blockers or H2 receptor blockers. Patients with delirium and renal impairment should avoid these H2 blockers like famotidine due to adverse central nervous system effects that can get worse and cause delirium. Metoclopramide is a medication that is often used for nausea and should be avoided in your elderly patients, especially in those who have Parkinson's disease, as it can cause tardive dyskinesia and extra pyramidal side effects. So metoclopramide. Corticosteroids should be avoided in patients with delirium as they can exacerbate the condition. If corticosteroids must be used, it's recommended to go with that lowest therapeutic dose possible. And then another really common one is aspirin. Typically, it's on that should be avoided list, especially in patients with a history of ulcer 
due to the heightened risk for, you know, that ulcer development, GI bleeding, and even gastric perforation. And I don't want you guys to think ulcers are no big deal, um, that they're always, you know, just super common and benign. I've seen patients with ulcers bleeding so profusely they are at risk of dying. So be very aware that ulcers can be quite serious. And then the last ones on my example list of common things you'll see are estrogens and testosterone. So hormone replacement therapy is in that avoidish category due to heightened risk for cancers. Um, testosterone also comes with heightened risk for cardiac events in the elderly population. So again, you guys, this is not an exhaustive list. It's just the drugs that I see, you know, that were on the beers list that I see used the most often in the clinical setting. Depending on where you work, what kind of care area you are in, you might see other ones. I wanted you to be aware that this list exists. And as I went through those, you can kind of see some themes around what the concerns are about the medication, a lot of things about cognitive decline, you know, falling, bleeding risk, all those kinds of things. But when you go and look at the whole list, you'll really get an appreciation for how well-rounded it is. And it's just a really great way to provide that extra level of protection and um, vigilance with this patient population. As you look up medications in your drug guide, any reputable guide is going to state if a medication is a Beers drug. And if you're ever in doubt, you can always confirm this with the prescribing physician, okay? If you ever have a question about an order, I call that the angel on your shoulder, right? Listen to that angel, you guys. Um, if you ever have any uncertainty about your patient, do not push past that voice. Do not push past that angel. That is a recipe for things not going the way you or the patient want them to go. So I know that for new nurses, it can be really scary to um, question orders or ask for clarification. You know, maybe don't look at it as I'm questioning your order, but I'm seeking clarification on this order. Um, if you're not sure how to talk to doctors, I will link to an easy framework that you can practice and utilize for how to um, voice concerns about your patients in a professional, concise, and easy-to-follow manner. So at the beginning of this episode, you heard me share a testimonial from Kat who had talked about Study Sesh. So Study Sesh is my private members-only podcast where we use things like pod quizzes, also case studies, drills, things like that, but we do a lot of pod quizzes as a way for you to test your understanding of things, and it's just a great way to study and review while you get up from your desk and do something else. I'm such a huge fan of that. So let's do a few pod quiz questions so you can see how you like it going back over some of these medications that I talked about that are on the beers list, okay? So... For meperidine, what is a common use for that after surgery that I mentioned? So after surgery, it's often used to decrease that shivering. Very good. And then what is the risk for with the elderly patient? Do you remember what those were? One was delirium. What was the other one? 
it was neurotoxicity, risk for neurotoxicity, and that is because of the byproduct of meperidine. Okay, how about tramadol? So tramadol can cause hyponatremia because of what condition? S-I-A-D-H, syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone. And what does hyponatremia do in the brain? It causes cerebral edema. Excellent, excellent. Okay, looking at opioids, we talked about we're going to avoid those in people who have a fall history or who are at really high risk for falls or those taking two drug, two types of drugs. One was gabapentin. What was the other one? Do you remember? There was a risk for increased respiratory depression when opioids are taken with benzodiazepines. Very, very good. And then SSRIs and tricyclic antidepressants can cause an increased risk for SIADH. We saw, we saw that one a few times, didn't we? Okay. One of the biggest reasons for avoiding anticholinergics in the elderly is what? Risk for reduced cognitive function. Very good. And if your elderly patient is prescribed an anticoagulant, what about their history do you want to know? You definitely want to know if they have a fall history or a heightened fall risk and if they have any GI bleeding in their history. Very, very good. Do you remember any one of the antipsychotics? I named two that would be exceptions to the rule of avoiding in the elderly. That was clozapine and quetiapine. Very, very good. And then your patient's getting a benzodiazepine. What are you concerned about? With benzos, it's increased risk for cognitive impairment, increased risk for delirium, and falls. Your patient is on amiodarone and warfarin. What are we concerned about? Increased risk of bleeding for patients taking both of those medications. What about your patient who is taking a calcium channel blocker, but they have heart failure? What could happen? That calcium channel blocker could worsen the heart failure. What electrolyte imbalance are we concerned about when our elderly patient is prescribed spironolactone? Hyperkalemia. Excellent, excellent work. Your patient is taking gliburide, but you're 
very concerned about the risk for what in your elderly patient? Hypoglycemia. Very, very good. Okay, proton pump inhibitors, PPIs, such as what was the sample drug I listed? Omeprazole. Very good. The beers list recommends a duration of less than how many weeks for PPIs in your elderly patient? It listed a duration of less than eight weeks. And what were some of the reasons? What can PPIs cause in your elderly patient? One of the things was C. diff infection. Another one was bone loss and even fractures. And the other was pseudomembranous colitis, which sounds super painful. And then... The H2 blockers, what was the sample drug? Do you remember? Famotidine. We are going to avoid that because it will affect the central nervous system adversely in our elderly patient. And what could be the outcome of that? It could worsen or cause delirium. Very, very good. Okay, metoclopramide, which I use a lot in the recovery room for patients who are nauseous. So metoclopramide, very common medication. We are going to avoid this in patients with what condition? Parkinson's disease. And why is that? What can it cause? It can cause tardive dyskinesia, and extrapyramidal side effects. Corticosteroids are going to be avoided in patients with what condition because it can exacerbate it? Delirium. Very, very good. And then when your patient is taking aspirin, what do you want to know about their history? You want to know... Have they had an ulcer in the past? Do they have any GI bleeding history? Um, and it can cause even a gastric perforation. So you want to be very, very careful with these patients. And that, those are the main ones, you guys. You did amazing. If you like that quizzing format, that's most of what study sesh is. So you can go check that out at straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh and see what that is all about. It's great, and it really does pull you out of your desk, get you up and moving in a really engaging way to study and review. So I will see you back here next week, and we're going to talk about cystic fibrosis. So I'll see you next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. 